This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you that are watching today. Thank you, thank you so much for tuning in to watch. Now, today on our telecast, we want to discuss this subject, Great is Your Reward in Heaven. That's a statement Jesus made. We want to think about it today and what is entailed in that statement. Stay tuned, please. Now, may I encourage you to order the free Bible Correspondence course. We have a course that we're offering to all of you, and it's free of charge. And in order that you might know just a little bit more about the course, how you might be able to receive it, why don't we pause for just a moment? To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580 or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. In Matthew chapter 1, actually over into chapter 2, we have the beginning of the life of Jesus Christ. And, and in the third chapter of Matthew, as it opens, John the Baptist begins his ministry and he comes out of the wilderness of Judea and he's preaching saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in that same chapter, John baptizes Jesus in the river Jordan. In Matthew chapter four, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness in the first part of the chapter. And then Jesus launches his ministry in Matthew chapter 4. And in the 17th verse, he began to preach saying, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the 23rd verse, Jesus began to preach the gospel of the kingdom. When we come to chapter 5, Jesus lays down some principles that help to live in that kingdom. Let me read to you from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets 
which were before you. Those words from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, come from the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. Preached by Jesus. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 constitute what we sometimes refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And this sermon is unapproached by man. There's no man who is able with his oratory to even begin to approach the sermon preached by the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus preached this sermon, he wasn't quoting some authority. Very often when a, a preacher is, is making some particular point, he might find some secular writer, he might find some a scholar, Bible scholar somewhere, and quote that scholar as his authority for making the statement that he does. <laughs> but Jesus didn't need that because, you see, Jesus was authority. In the latter part of chapter 7, Jesus, we're told, spake as one having authority. As a matter of fact, he did, didn't he? In Matthew 28 and 18, he said, All authority has been given unto me. So he quoted no other authority because he had all authority. Jesus would say, Now it's been said unto you by them of old time, but I say unto you, in every instance when Jesus would make that statement, he always raised the bar. This was such a powerful sermon because it is a blueprint for kingdom living. You and I, if we are Christians are citizens of the kingdom. The kingdom that John the Baptist talked about. The kingdom that Jesus began to talk about in Matthew chapter 4. And the kingdom that eventually came in reality on the day of Pentecost recorded in the second chapter of Acts. This, this Sermon on the Mount, and especially what we refer to as the Beatitudes of Jesus, are a blueprint for our happiness here and hereafter. Now, Jesus opened each one or began each one of these Beatitudes by saying, Bless or blessed is the man. And have you noticed that every time there was a Beatitude, that, that Jesus then talked about a reward? For example, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. What is the reward? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn. Well, what is the reward? They shall be comforted. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Well, what is the reward? They're going to inherit the earth. Jesus said, blessed are those who do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Well, what is the reward? They shall be filled. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful. What was the reward? They shall obtain mercy. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. Well, what is the reward? They shall be called the sons of God. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart. What is the reward? They shall see God. Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. What is the reward? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'd point out that the reward uh, for being poor in spirit 
and persecuted for righteousness' sake is the same. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus said, Blessed are you when men will revile you, will persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Well, what is the reward? Great is your reward in heaven. So every, for every one of the Beatitudes of Jesus, there was a reward. Jesus wrote seven letters to the seven churches of Asia. And most of those churches, possibly even with only one exception, were censured. But to every one of those churches that would overcome the problems they had within were offered a reward. For example, to the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus had left its first love. They were told that if they were to, would overcome, the reward would be they would eat of the tree of life. There was the church at Smyrna. And they were told if they would overcome, they would not be hurt of the second death. There was the church of Pergamos. And there was the reward offered to them if they would overcome and be faithful and they would be given to eat of the hidden manna and they would be given a white stone. And there was the church of Thyatira and they were told that if they were, were to overcome they would be given power over all the nations. There was the church at Sardis. It had the grim distinction of having a name that it was alive and it was dead. And, but they were told that if they were to, uh, would overcome, they would be clothed in white garments. Then there was the letter to the church of Philadelphia. And they were told that if they would overcome, that the Lord would make them a pillar in His temple. And then the seventh letter was a letter to the church of Laodicea, a church of whom the risen Lord had absolutely nothing good to say. They were not hot. They were not cold. No, they were just lukewarm. But the Lord said to those that overcome, those that would overcome, He said, I'm going to let you sit with me in my throne. You see, in every instance in the Beatitudes, to the seven letters to the seven churches, there was a reward that was offered. Great is your reward in heaven. You know, the reward offered is to those who identify themselves with Jesus Christ. And there is a reward offered to those who identify themselves with Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 and 4 talked about the promises that God offers. He referred to them as exceeding great and precious promises. He says that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Partakers of the divine nature. What does that really mean? That simply means that when you follow Jesus Christ, you take on the moral attributes of Jesus. I remember preaching in a place once when I was a young preacher, and there was a woman in the church who had a tongue that was like a two-edged sword. And I wondered about that. 
Why would this be allowed to go on? Her hurting people's feelings, saying things about people. And someone said to me one day, Oh, Billy, that's just her nature. That's just her nature to be like that. That's just human nature. Well, it may be her nature. It may be your nature. But that's not divine nature, is it? You see, there is a vast difference in human nature and divine nature. And when we have the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to take on those qualities that involve the life of godliness that we're to live, following after the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, nature is a very powerful, powerful thing. It's so powerful. For example, nature controls our appetite. Think about animals. Hogs eat leftovers. Now, when I lived on the farm, we called it slop. But there are other animals that would not eat that because it's not their nature. For example, sheep would eat green grass. Hogs are not going to eat the green grass. It's not the nature of a hog to do that, but it's the nature of the sheep. You see, nature controls your appetite. Why, you've seen a vulture out on the highway, and that vulture is feeding on roadkill. That's just his nature to do that. But a hummingbird is not going to be feeding on roadkill. No, it's, that, that, that hummingbird will find the beautiful flowers and feed on the sweet nectar that's coming from those flowers. You see, nature controls our appetite, but it also controls our behavior. Eagles fly high into the sky, and dolphins swim in the water. It's not the nature of a dolphin to fly, and it's not the nature of an eagle to swim. The eagles are going to fly, and it's the dolphins that swim. You see, nature controls behavior, and nature also controls environment. Squirrels climb trees, because that's the nature of a squirrel to climb trees. And moles, on the other hand, burrow down into the ground. That's the nature of a mole. But then nature also controls our association. Lions travel alone. Sheep travel in flocks and fish in schools and ants live in colonies. You see, nature is a very, very powerful thing. Now here's the lesson for us as we think about being partakers of the, the divine nature. You see, when we become partakers of the divine nature, then we have an appetite for things that are good. We have an appetite for things that are pure. We have an appetite for things that are holy because we have become partakers of the divine nature. And so it just seems to me that our interest changes when we partake of the nature are the characteristics of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And frankly, that ought to motivate us. If that will not motivate us to put the Lord first, if that will not motivate us to, 
to work in the kingdom. I don't know what it would take to motivate us when we become partakers of the divine nature. And those who have, are partakers of the divine nature are going to have a reward on life's other side. Because you see, that makes us like Jesus. That's our responsibility to have the mind of Christ, Philippians 2, 5. To have the spirit of Christ, Romans chapter 8, and verse number 9. It, listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, 18. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Someone says, well, what does that verse mean? Well, it just simply means that when I learn about Jesus Christ by studying His Word, and I learn how Jesus lived by studying His Word, well, then I will be changed into His image. I will follow Jesus and become like the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, it's a wonderful thing to be a Christian and because now I do not have any interest in the trash that the world offers because I'm a partaker of the divine nature. In 1 John 2.15, John says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Well, why not? Because I no longer have any interest in it. I am now a partaker of the divine nature of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to be as much like Jesus as I possibly can. And also, it's going to help me to have a greater appreciation for heaven. And I will enjoy heaven because I'm now a partaker of the divine nature of Jesus Christ. And great will be my reward that is in heaven. I remember speaking once and in a church in a revival and, and I made the statement in the pulpit that I did not have an appreciation for opera. Now there are those that have an appreciation for it and I, I will listen to some of it but I, I just don't understand it I suppose. And, and those who do will have a tremendous appreciation for it. But I made that statement. I have no appreciation for it. When I'd finished preaching, the, the preacher got up in the pulpit, and he's a dear friend, and I knew he was a great singer, and he said, Brother Lambert said that he did not have any appreciation for opera. He said, I sing with a group that, uh, and that we sing opera at least once a week. And of course, I felt really small, but they all laughed because he appreciated it. I did not. But you see, when I'm a partaker of the divine nature, I'm going to have a greater appreciation for what heaven holds for me. Jesus said, great, great is your reward which is in heaven. Why, why do you suppose he calls it a great reward? Well, I think one of the reasons he says great is your reward in heaven is because of the greatness of the giver of the reward. Our God is a great God. Great is the Lord greatly to be praised, First, uh, Psalms 145, verse 3. And, and every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, the giver of everything. 
And that ought to cause us to say with the psalmist in Psalms 103 and verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. You see, God has been so good to us. And, and there is the giver of the reward. He is such a great God. Oh, indeed, great is your reward which is in heaven. And I would suggest to you that this is a great reward because it is an eternal reward. An eternal reward. Now, frankly, I don't understand the word eternal. I can spell it and I can pronounce it. But to comprehend it is almost impossible for me. Eternal. You know, God is the one who inhabits eternity. Isaiah 57 and verse 15. God is living in eternity. But what do we mean when we use the word eternity or the word eternal? Uh, the late T.B. Larimore, a preacher of another age, said that time, with all of its rolling ages, is scarcely a tiny bubble rocked upon the bosom of the sighing sea of eternity. Well, what does that mean? What does that really say to us? Not much. You see, eternity... That's time without limits, time without duration. You, you might as well try to find the cradle of God and the tomb of God is to find the, be the beginning and the end of eternity. It's just not to be found. And, but, but, but the reward we receive will be an eternal reward. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 46, Jesus said, And these shall go away into, into everlasting punishment but the righteous into life eternal. Eternal life, life eternal, everlasting life. That's beyond comprehension, isn't it? There's just not be any end to the reward that we receive. And so it's great because it is an eternal reward. It is great because of the giver of the reward. But I suggest to you that it is a great reward because it is a reward of appreciation. In the 17th chapter of Luke, Jesus had 10 lepers to come to him. Jesus healed them. And of the 10 lepers, there was only one that returned to say thank you. The text says to give glory to God. Only one out of the 10. It just seems to me that only one out of the 10 had a great appreciation. And I believe that, that this reward is great. It will be great because of our appreciation for how we receive that reward. When we began to think about Jesus, and we think about what Jesus did on the cross for us, that He died on that cross... He, he allowed, first of all, them to take him out of the Garden of Gethsemane, carry him from one trial to another, and then finally beat him, make him carry his own cross. He fell beneath that cross, and they, they nailed him to that cross. And there Jesus was suspended on Golgotha with my sins on him and with your sins upon him and the sins of mankind. And certainly, oh, certainly, we ought to appreciate that. We ought to be so thankful. We don't want to be like the nine lepers who did not return to give glory to God. This reward will be great because it will be a reward of appreciation. 
It's going to be great because it will be a reward of understanding. I don't always understand things that happen in this life. I really don't. Here's a child that's born deformed. I don't understand that, do you? Here's a family that cannot have a child. They want a child. They would be good parents for that child. And on the other hand, here's a family that really seemingly do not want children, and yet they have a number of them, but they don't take care of them. I don't understand that. There are a lot of things that happen in this world that I don't fully comprehend, fully understand. But heaven will be a place of perfect understanding. Then we will understand by and by. Great is your reward which is in heaven. And this reward will, is a great reward because it's a beautiful reward. We sing a song often. There's a beautiful place called heaven. What makes it so beautiful? God's there. Jesus said, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. God's there. Jesus is there. And I don't believe the first people we're going to look at when we get to heaven will be some relative or some preacher or, or, or maybe one of the apostles. I think we'll spend a few eons of time gazing upon the face of Jesus Christ. In 1 John, the third chapter, verses 1 through 3, we're going to be like Him. We'll see Him as He is. Oh, to see Him face to face. That be glory. What a reward. It's a beautiful reward because the redeemed of the ages are going to be there. They'll come from the east and from the west and they'll sit down in the kingdom with the likes of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Matthew 8 and 11. But I want to ask you a very serious question. Have you done what it takes for you to have the hope of that reward? Are you a Christian? Would you not give your life to Christ today? Believe on Him with all of your heart because Jesus said so in John 8, 24. Be willing to turn from the sin in your life, not because Billy says to do it, because Jesus said to do it, Luke 13 and verse 3. And be willing to confess that you believe Jesus to be God's Son, Luke 13, 3. Be baptized because Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Thank you for watching today. Till we meet again, may the Lord bless you, keep you, is my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at gettingtoknowyourbible at yahoo.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, 
or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.